Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Ain't gonna hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking 2008's Dragonlance, Dragons of Autumn Twilight. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you have already seen the film. All right. We do have one other person on here who I know has seen the film from the Knights of Nerds podcast. Tim, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes, um, I'm Tim from the Knights of Nerds podcast, a D&D actual play podcast. And that's why I guess you continually call me back here to watch these <laughs> these these offenses to cinema. Um and you know what? I would like to start off with a reading, if I might. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Before that, is it okay if I drink while we record? Oh, it's encouraged. Okay, good, because I started before we started recording. Uh, so, listen. Well, me too. <laughs> All right. So, I would like to start off with a, a short reading, if I might. This is uh, selections from a messenger chat history feature, featuring the three of us. October 27th at 8.11 p.m. Sandro, no, no, no. This one is good. At least I remember it as good. Ben says, so he says, and then I say, this is the gaslighting phase. Um, Sandra's been pushing this movie on me for at least 14 years. <laughs> telling me it's great. It's not as good as the book. It can't be. But it's a fantastic adaptation. We'll figure out if he was telling the truth. Spoiler he was not telling the truth. I feel like the real, you know what? Like the real person that I'm upset with is, <laughs> is me for believing that, like that it might actually still be good. Yes. So Tim is here because he is obviously a fan of D and D. And I, for the third time asked him to join us because apparently I don't like him very much. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Look at the movies you've covered with us. You know, the you know the sad thing is, if I go back to one of the previous times that he was on, he recommended Coherence to us, which we both loved. Mm -hmm. And this is how I repaid him. I said, hey, yep. Tim, do you want to go and join us again for this one, which is actually a good D&D &D movie? Yeah, that's code for fuck you, Tim. <laughs> Coherence was fantastic. That was a great recommendation. Yeah, Coherence was phenomenal. In my defense... <laughs> There's no defense. <laughs> I genuinely liked this movie. Past tense. Yes. Good. It has some good points, I will say. And we will get to that after we get through what is considered a plot. <laughs> um, but, uh, guys, how do we feel about jumping into this right now? <laughs> I feel like uh, I'd like to prolong it longer, but... Um... We should probably just get to it. Okay. Uh, Tim, have you read uh, the book, the first book in this trilogy? No, you know what? I read The Legend of Huma, I think, when I was in grade seven. And I'll say that like the movie at times like did bring me some joy in sparking some memories about that book that I had like long since forgotten. So it rekindled something. That's really the only enjoyment I got out of it was something that it can take no credit for. <laughs> All right. Well, Sandro, you. When was the last time you read this book? Um, 
maybe a decade ago. Okay, uh, but you do remember it fondly. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah, and that that's why you uh, you bought the trilogy for me. And I apologize for not having read them yet, but that's something else I will touch on this episode. It's also why I had the DVD of this movie pre-ordered and picked up day one when it came out. That's I'm sorry, man. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I thought you had both read it, so Sandro, I'm gonna rely on you throughout some of this to try and fill us in on what just was omitted and what we're supposed to assume or know to make this movie make somewhat more sense. No. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Let's jump into this mess. Um, I mean, the way it opens, you know what the fuck you're getting. <laughs> the movie opens with, I would say, less than reboot level CG of a dragon flying through the sky, which then gets impaled by a sword revealing the Dragon Lance logo. Well, it was impaled by a lance. Come on, man. A lance, sorry. It's right in the title. Oh, fuck, whatever. <laughs> and these these credits, terrible. Uh, oh, oh, we get a town being ravaged by monsters. Uh, it's surprisingly violent, which you know, I'm, I'm down with. Hangings, impalements, etc. Uh, I do have to say I really enjoy the goblin animations. I like those character designs a lot. So, other than the odd choice to mix the... CGI with the animation. I genuinely do like the animation style, the hand-drawn portion, not the computer generated. Like it's it it is bloody, but it is colorful, it's well animated. It is the highlight of the movie for better or worse. Okay. Tim, what do you think of the hand-drawn animation? Oh, I mean it's fine. Like it doesn't it doesn't look like a 2008 like this looks like X-Men um, like from the early nineties or maybe mid nineties, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. that level of animation. Um, mm -hmm. so I don't know if, if it was just like a budgetary thing or maybe they were going for sort of like an older feel to give it a bit of charm, but I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. It was, it was fine. The, yeah, the, the parts with the, the, the decision to include CG dragon characters alongside the animation was just brutal put in with like it just doesn't belong it's it's a horrible juxtaposition the animation screams 80s to me i don't remember when the animated show came out but it it looks like that and i'm thinking if you okay it, this is 2008 everybody knows the cg is trash it's hot garbage why not take the money spent on that and put it into the actual 2D animation. Make it look great. Make it pop more. Like, you know, brighten up those colors, saturate those blacks and things like, um, in the, was it Darkenwood? Um, set a tone. It's so jarring the entire time that it's it's an ugly movie. Oh, come now, It's not that bad. It, it is that bad. <clears throat> the CG, yes, but not the animation. The animation has a charm to it. I love it. What is the charm? Being janky as fuck? No, it's not that janky. You're just it, you're just angry so... at me. No. No, I'm angry at this movie. <laughs> not angry at you. Because this is giving me a lot of fuel to work with. Like, this is it's just it's so bad. Is it possible? <laughs> like, is it possible this was and like done? 
long before 2008 and just went through some kind of like legal troubles before it got released because like seriously like the the tv show gargoyles like the animation of that is like a world's better than this you know good show yeah well that show is fantastic but yeah now that's a good point i i didn't really find too much on that but it would make sense if this movie was done in say 1982 <laughs> and then on. they just delayed it until 2008 when someone's like, "Well, we've been sitting on it for a while. Let's see if uh, we can make five, ten bucks on it." <laughs> Come on, five or ten bucks. We know that there's one guy in Canada who will buy the DVD when it comes out. <laughs> can you imagine? They see the numbers. Holy shit! Somebody in Kitchener bought it day one. <laughs> Do we send an apology note? <laughs> it wasn't a cheap DVD either because it didn't get like a mass release. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I can honestly say, me as a film hunter going through a bunch of like uh, used film stores and looking online and everything, not once have I stumbled upon this movie. Yeah, it, it cost me like 30 bucks. $30, and that's in 2000, like, what, t- 2009 dollars? Mm-hmm. Wow. I get it, though. You didn't know what you were buying. No, at that time... <laughs> and not that it got any better, because your first sign of the quality of this movie should have been when you went to research it and found nothing, <laughs> was literally we had a trailer, which, again, this type of animation does remind me of, like, the X-Men animated series, the Spider-Man animated series, which I have a very firm nostalgia for. I saw, like, one trailer for this and a list of the voice cast, which they got some big names in it. And then bought it sight unseen beyond that. Yeah. You were tricked, man. It's okay. It happens to everyone. It's just, it. it's such a disservice to the brand that it's just, it's embarrassing. And we, we honestly have made it maybe 30 seconds into this movie so far. <laughs> oh yeah, opening scene. Yeah. So in the town of Solace, we have a forgetful old wizard, I guess, Fizban the Fabulous. Who recants a tale to Tika, a barmaid of the treetop, in of the last home. This story is one of the biggest exposition dumps I have ever seen in all of the movies I've watched. I I, I hate myself for it because I transcribed it, and I'm not going to read it because it's a page. Yeah, don't don't read it. But basically, okay, do you want to break down what it is? You want me to do it? No, I don't want to. (laughs) Let's see if I can remember. Can Can I give a stab at it? Oh, please do. Okay, so there was a... I think there was a war at one point. uh, Bad guys versus good guys. Um, Good guys won. And then the adherence to the good gods, the gods of light, became too demanding. And the gods of light were all like, fuck you, we're out of here. And then like all the humans and followers of those gods thought that the gods had just like straight up quit. All their healing magic went with them. And then came in the, the dark times. And... I think that's a decent enough nutshell. Yeah, I think the yeah. only part that was kind of missing from that was that one of the big reasons that the the gods left them was because they had essentially gotten so arrogant and egotistical that they felt that they didn't need them, that they themselves were sufficient. Um, this is now 300 years later, and still there's no sign of the gods whatsoever. The part that I found really off-putting by this scene prior to the actual exposition dump, is that Fizban comes in and Tika is sweeping. And she's like, we're not open yet. And he's like, oh, don't mind me. I'm just old and tired. And she's like, well, then pass the time by telling me a tale. Why? No, get out, old man. We're closed. 
They're never closed. Uh, reintroduction to um, to Kesis and how she's returned. Uh, here seen in the form of a five-headed dragon, which I thought was another prominent character in this world. But maybe it's just a D&D world, not Dragonlance itself. Yeah, in the current D&D lore, the five-headed dragon god is known as Tiamat. Yeah, I don't know how I know that, but I thought I got it wrong and had to look it up. And no, I was right. <laughs> so is this just like a, a creative choice that was made or is this actually like lore and Dragonlance? I don't know. You know what? I'm not I'm not familiar enough with Dragonlance to to know that. I, I guess maybe they just wanted a corollary. I, I, okay. I don't know. But, uh, you know, whatever. One five headed evil dragon god is as good as another. And it would look amazing. If it were hand drawn, yes, just hand drawn. What are you doing? Uh, we meet Verminard, her second in command, and he explains that only the northern lands are left to be taken over, um, but they have not yet located a specific staff that they're searching for. Uh, and guys, why why is the staff important? That is a subject of some debate. Like uh, apparently, it has some powerful healing properties, and uh, is kind of a um, you know, a deus ex machina sort of thing, but I don't see how one staff can can stave off the sheer overwhelming air superiority that Verminard has at his disposal. Like we see later in the movie, they have dozens, maybe hundreds of dragons, and you're worried about a staff. And what's weird <laughs> is that the healing element is not mentioned here. What we're told is that it has the power to awaken the gods of light. I'm like, all right, let's focus on... No, we're not... Okay, we won't focus on that right now. Yeah. And we later learn that the dragon kind can't even wield the staff. So, yeah. yeah. Well, no, because the staff is hand-drawn and the dragon kind are CGI. <laughs> so it's, like, it's all coming together now, guys. 100%. Uh, Onyx. We're now introduced to warrior Onyx. Uh, then her breasts. Uh... <laughs> And she's tasked with finding the staff and making sure the discs of Meshackle will remain in their hands. She then flies off and turns into a dragon. Weird PG-13 animation going on here. Yeah, it definitely has like some of the, you know, female armor in video game vibes going with it. Like it definitely, and this is one of many times in this weird movie that we are just made to leer at these female characters. Um, there is a shot where the entire screen is breasts. Mm -hmm. That's it. Oh, worked in heavy metal. Yes. And heavy metal is not PG 13. <laughs> it's just so weird. And it, it happens a few more times. It's, it's uncomfortable because for the most part, this isn't really a bloody film. Yes. There, there is blood from time to time. There are some really cool kills from time to time, but it's not an overly violent movie for a fantasy animated film, which I kind of expected it was going to be. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, we cut to a forest where we meet half-elf Tannis, voiced by Michael Rosenbaum. I should also say Tika is voiced by Michelle Trachtenberg, which most people would know her from Buffy, I think. Um, Sandro, Tannis, main character of the book, yes? Correct, yes. Of the trilogy, we, really. Of the trilogy, fantastic. Do we get any character development from him in the books? <laughs> Not really. It kind of comes down to the love triangle. Are you serious? Yeah. Hey, but they got Lex Luthor to do the voice. I don't like Michael Rosenbaum. What? Yeah. 
Never did. Watch Pool Hall Junkies. You know, I haven't seen that. I will. I will watch that. I mean, I'll go to bat for Pool Hall Junkies any day of the week. Yeah, it's okay, a good, fantastic good. movie. I mean, we're in our the like high 90s for our episodes. Think of all the shit I've made you watch. I'll watch that. Um, Tannis encounters dwarf Flint Fireforge, an old friend he apparently hasn't seen in a long while. Five years. Um, and sorry? Five years. Five years. That's a long while. Their pact was to meet in five years. Okay. I, I was curious about that. Because I, I I completely missed the fact that everyone's meeting for a specific reason. I was confused about that. It, it was almost like an adventurer's uh, uh, high school reunion. They they agreed to meet wherever their yeah, lives it, took them five years uh, in solace. It does have that feeling, and I feel bad that I missed that. They're interrupted by Hobgoblin, Fewmaster, Toad, head of the forces to keep solace, quote, safe. And uh, with him are a few goblin warriors. Um comments on on toad i didn't like looking at him i hated it it was so bad he looks awful unintimidating gross disgusting and the voice is awful it's the same guy that voices um flint fireforge sandra what's your take on toad uh yeah pretty much what you guys said uh he is not a looker and uh, that has to be intentional right yeah as soon as you see him you're like fuck this guy yeah, it's essentially like he is the character that is not physically imposing and just has command uh, authority and yeah. throws that around as his weight. But otherwise, he would be uh, essentially like a reject who just abuses his power. Yeah. And of course, everybody saw this coming. Uh, they get into a tussle. Mm -hmm. You know what? I will say I didn't mind the combat, right? We watched them start fighting for the first time. In this scene, there is no blood. They keep a lot of the stuff off camera. But... The, the animations for the actual combat sequences are not too bad. Here and there, yeah, it's it varies. It varies quite a bit. Um, I do like the fighting towards the end of the movie, more so around the climax than leading up to it. Um, it's not terrible. It, and honestly, it's probably some of the highlights of the movie. <laughs> um, I, I really got queasy when that goblin spit in Tannis' face, though. I love his reaction to it, though, because as soon as he stands up, it's gone. And he's like wiping his face and the, like the look of just the fuck was that <laughs> <laughs> it comes through great in this shoddy animation. Um, we also get an introduction to uh, Tasselhoff Burfoot. Um, seems like this character should be a lot of fun and does get a few laughs, but seems limited in what we get in the oh, film. I can't defend that. I found him to be the most annoying character in the books. Yeah, okay. He's pretty much in the books. He's this personality turned up to 11. It's just annoying how much they try to shoehorn in the whole idea that he steals everything and then just tells people they dropped it. And it's not funny, even in the books. Maybe I enjoy him more in the movie than I would in the books. Tim, thoughts on Tasselhoff? <sighs> you know... <laughs> That's so angry. <laughs> I didn't mind. I didn't mind the thief too much because, like, at least this character has a thing. Like, you have all these warriors. Like, you have Tannis. Then you have um, the two other human warriors who are basically non-characters. Like, they have no defining characteristics other than one of them likes food and ogling women, and the other one wears a helmet. And that's pretty much all you get from them. <laughs> that's that, that's his stance, Sandra. Yeah, <laughs> like you can tell. Like at this point, like so I've got a pretty low bar for like you know what I'll accept. 
as a fleshed out character. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, the the trio arrive at the inn later that night, and honestly, here I'm starting to get excited about what this movie could be. Um, them meeting Stern Brightblade and Caramon. Is it pronounced Majer? I'm not sure about the pronunciation. Right. To be honest, um, mixed with a great score makes the reunion feel special. Yeah, the music in the tavern is pretty fun. Yeah, I, I love inn or tavern settings in fantasy films because it's a perfect opportunity to create believability uh, and let the characters breathe, immediately build a sense of fellowship. You actually get to spend time with them and see how they interact outside of stressful situations. And it, it's successful here. Um, but Tim does bring up a really good point because we don't get as much of that as we could because we meet Caramon's brother, Wizard uh, Raceland, voiced by Kiefer Sutherland, who immediately seems dubious. And I feel really bad because I I really got a similar vibe to Boromir from Lord of the Rings in that he's there to help, but he's also an asshole. Oh, he is the biggest asshole. It's downplayed in the movie. Oh, perfect. Can you give us some examples of like of what he does in the books and maybe explain that nasty cough he has. Well, yeah, can, I, uh, can I mention that? Because like, I was like waiting for that to pay off later in the, in the movie and it never does. Like they never, ex- like, Oh, he just hasn't been the same since his trial. I, w- I was like, did they just add in that explanation? Because like, that was just Kiefer Sutherland, like showing up, like hung over in the studio to record his vocals. And like, well, we can't cut around his constant coughing. So we'll just explain it away. I, I thought that too. So I'll, I'll say this. In the original trilogy, the Dragonlance trilogy that this book is from, you don't really get any more of an explanation than that. You actually you have to read the trilogy the, of the twins, right? That goes into his trials through the tower that talks about how he actually travels through time to amass his powers and the toll on his body is irreparable. And he treats his brother like complete garbage. Also, yeah, I think Kiefer Sutherland did a terrible job in this movie. I like the way that it reads spells. It's like it's like just the most mundane thing. Like Abukiar is Ventress Expellium. Like he gives that that level of effort into into Dead reading man. into like <laughs> casting spells. Did either of you guys look at the IMDb uh, trivia for this movie? No. There's like one single bullet point. And it's that Kiefer Sutherland did a deep dive into the history of Raceland to prepare for the character. Well, he didn't read this series then. Because <laughs> there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, what's, uh, what's my motivation? Uh, you're uh, a complete asshole. Yeah, got that. <laughs> you seem pretty pissed off most of the time. Does he drink? Uh, he could? <laughs> All right, got it. Because my version of Raceland drinks. Yeah. <laughs> We're still in the uh, tavern, guys. Oh, yeah. Side note. <laughs> um, I, I do have to bring up the worst game of tag ever that's happening in the in this inn. Did you guys notice the kids running around? And yeah. two of them just stop running, and one says, tag, you're it, and runs away without actually tagging anybody. No. I don't think yeah. I was paying that close attention. Oh, really? Because they actually made it front and center of the screen. I must have been doing something else. I wish I was doing something else. (laughs) 
Tika and Karaman's exchange of looks. Nothing says PG-13 animation like jiggling breasts and shaking that ass. Yeah, oh my god. Like, at this point, I was like, I was genuinely surprised at this. I was like, oh, like, wow, they're they're really just going for it. Like, he just ogles the shit out of her. And, like, and the camera, it's not like, it's like, it, the, like the, the way that it's presented is like, yeah, you're supposed to approve of it. Yeah, yeah, you are. And I also love that you said camera. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Like the viewpoint, the the perspective. Can no. you imagine the animator being like, "God damn it!" And there is there is there's like no romance between these two characters at any point. Like, not that that would even justify this exchange. It's just like it's just another example of I don't know some some studio executive probably being like, "Yeah, we need some sex appeal in this weird movie." So like. We'll do it with the weird dragon lady, the the tavern uh, waitress, and then randomly, like some captive later on, we're just going to get a big shot of boobs, like right, just randomly mm-hmm. in in the caves in in the in the dungeon, like close to the end. And I was like, what was that for? Not just that she has ridiculous jiggle physics, but she also then, after blushing from bending over and him ogling her visibly like adjusts her top so they're not even trying to make it like oh this is incidental yeah she passes it off as as if it's endearing and not fucking creepy <laughs> i i cannot believe that there was not a moment in a production meeting where someone's like fuck are we doing here guys <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing and the consensus is like shut up get it out there take your check and pretend this never happened we're not going to make any more runs of this. We release it, and no one will ever talk about it. One guy will buy it. Apparently some people are talking about movies online and things called podcasts, but don't worry, we'll just sneak past all of it. So, Sandra, at any point in the trilogy, does Tika take out a restraining order against... Uh, they're married and have kids. <laughs> oh, God. Good for them. <laughs> I can understand why. He's a one-dimensional piece of shit. All right, what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> they discuss the goblins looking for staffs and great another attempt at a story by Fizban. Uh Tannis gets a scroll from Kitiana that Xander saying before, uh, saying her business with her new lord will keep her from joining them. And I completely forgot all about that until the end of the movie. And I'm like that was a pretty good throwback. I, I did enjoy that. Um Fizban's story of the gods of light starts a commotion with a drunken local. And this is a perfect opportunity to introduce Goldmoon, played by Lucy Lawless, and Riverwind, played by Phil Lamar. What a cast they got. Yeah, that must have been where the money went. I mean, they didn't do much with the cast, but what a cast they got. Well, I mean, is it, though? Kiefer Sutherland's not doing films at this point anymore. Hasn't for a long time. Lucy Lawless, TV. Phil Lamar, TV. Michael Rosenbaum, TV. Talented, yes. Great, debatable. Honestly, like, I forgot that Lucy Lawless was in this. Like, Sandra told me about it, like, you know, when he originally pitched this terrible idea, you know? Like, Lucy Lawless. I was like, okay, great. Lucy Lawless is great. Like, she's awesome in Ash vs. Evil Dead, like, the the series. Yeah, agree. But, like, I I did not even connect her voice to that character. Uh, And I think Kiefer Sutherland's voice is the only one that I actually recognize, and everyone else is so... It's just so generic and delivered so dispassionately. Yeah, I just, 
if you told me Kevin Sorbo was going to be in this too, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Everybody who's done some sort of science fiction or fantasy TV show is in this, except for Kiefer. And I think he was just hurting at this point, needed money. Um, Goldmoon, in possession of the staff, we've heard so much about. But I'd have to say, one part that made me laugh, and Sandra, we watched this together, and we all, we all laughed. Is that dude getting knocked into the fire? Yeah, that was dope. It was dope. He just gets engulfed in flames until he climbs out and it's just his clothes on fire. Yeah. Even though while he's in <laughs> while he's in the fire itself, you see his skin flaming. And then he rolls out and then the fire It's just like his cloak. <laughs> yeah. But the staff heals him and everyone freaks out. Yeah, everyone in the tavern, I didn't quite understand like what the issue was. Like I think they said that like the goblins were looking for the staff, and so the tavern patrons were like, get the staff out of here because we don't want trouble with the goblins, and like the weirdest thing happens. Like the tavern patrons start towing up to this group of like armored and armed adventurers who just just tossed a dude into a fire pit and then healed him with yeah. magic. Like, oh, sorry, yeah, you, you uh, peasants are gonna like push this group around. Are you serious? Like, are you dumb? Yeah, they got really brave really fast. Can you imagine if they like step up to them as you were saying, Tim? And she just taps him with the staff again, and he bursts into flames all over. <laughs> Intimidation factor. Um, goblins close in on the inn, but our party escapes and runs directly into a bloody sword fight. And it's it's weird, because the goblins show up minutes after this healing magic happens. Like, it's... You, you never get any explanation as to how they know what happened there. Like, yeah. there's never any shot of, like a bright light, uh, you know, from the tavern, which would signify this to the goblins who are outside. It's just like, they just show up because they're, they're needed to push this plot along, but there's yeah. no way that they could have known that based on what we were told. No, no way whatsoever. There's a nice little subtle hint here because after he hands Tasselhoff the staff to, and tells him like, you know, knock him to the ground so we can put out the fire. There's like this little like smirk, like he, he's putting, like, events into motion. Are you trying to give credit to this movie? Well, it's... It, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Very good. Uh, in the fight, though, I I do love that one scene of the goblin getting its teeth knocked out. <laughs> I thought it was quite brutal for this film. Uh, obviously, our heroes win the fight. Um, further escaping, despite Flint's protest, uh, the group must flee by boat to escape Toad and the goblin reinforcements. So Flint almost chooses death over getting into a boat like he i i honestly thought i was like oh man this dwarf is so dumb he's going to get himself dogpiled by goblins and will die because he didn't want to get into this boat with his friends and i was kind of yeah. cool with that i'm like all right this is this is gonna be sweet but uh no like i he he then changes his mind i'm like what was that all about like you can protest be like you know i hate getting into a boat but he he literally stands there sulking because and, and they start rowing away from him like they're they're like okay fuck it flint is done let's just get out of here and so flint is like just standing on the shore as these goblins like are charging through the woods and then he's like i've made a huge mistake and then he just like swims out after the boat and somehow survives it's too early in the trilogy but that could have been a great boromir moment <laughs> buy yeah. time to get away yeah i would have been happy with that but it comes across as, yeah, I'm afraid of water. I don't like water. I'm going to stay here and fight. Oh, wait, I don't want to stay here and fight. So I'll just swim through the water and get onto the boat and we'll be fine. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> it's so fucking dumb. 
And this boat ride, I have to say, is full of some real gems here. Um, so they're being shot at, like they're rowing away in this tiny little boat and they're being shot at by goblin archers. And Raislin doesn't do shit until he's asked to intervene. And what is it, Karaman? He says like, Raislin, can't you do anything? Don't you have any tricks up your sleeve? And he's like, more than you know. And I think he has like a sleep spell. <laughs> it's sleep. Yeah, he just casts yeah. sleep. And then, and then immediately he's tired and he's like, do something else. He's like, I can't. He's <laughs> like, so the one moment useless. he goes from being like cock of the walk, like watch this, like fucking sit down and watch me work to like, I'm too tired and I'm done with his bullshit. Like within 10 seconds. It is great. Well, he, he had to, he had to use that slow fall spell to get out of the tree. So that was one cast down. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're beyond tracking for spell slots here. Uh, what else happens? Uh, the the other part that I really like is when Raceland points out that there's two constellations that are missing from the sky. Yeah, and Caramon says, "I think it's Caramon. I don't. I can't tell which one of these dumb characters it is." <laughs> he says, "It's just a bunch of stars." <laughs> like, I think even to a layperson who has no interest in uh, astronomy. If you have bodies from the heavens that suddenly disappear, like I think that signifies something pretty like important, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Nothing good. <laughs> Stars missing from the sky doesn't seem bad at all. At this point, I'm like, is this who like the fate of the world depends on? Like these, this guy who would almost rather die than swim, and. Uh, this other one who doesn't recognize an omen of astronomical proportions. Ah, see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, Caramon, Caramon is an idiot. He is the muscle that has no brains. That That's his character. I thought that was Sturm. Nope, Sturm is the honorable guard. Like, none okay. of them seem very smart. No, they all seem quite dumb. No, Sturm is the one that will put honor and duty above pretty much everything. Whereas Karamon is just incapable of thinking on his own. Apparently Sturm's also unable to survive, unlike everybody else. He has to be brought back with the fucking staff. <laughs> Riverwind objects to the group's help. Doesn't trust anyone who isn't human. This is a very flawed character. Yes. He's, okay, he's good. pretty much a racist. He is 100% a racist. Yeah, which is weird when you get to his history. Yeah, he, that's his character. He's a racist cut to Verminard, and he's relayed the story of the failed attempt to capture the staff, and he sends troops to Solace. Th this movie really isn't enough of a fantasy action film, I find. It's just like setting something up, setting something up, setting something up. Nothing happens, really. And when something does eventually happen, it's over in a heartbeat. Yeah. The heroes walk along the outskirts of the haunted forest of Darkenwood. While I rip on this movie, the bickering between the characters here especially Flint, uh, making sure everyone knows he could continue onward and doesn't need a break, is pretty funny. Really? Um, He's just bitching all the time. I know, but it works because no one's paying any attention to him. <laughs> just, They're all just straight up ignoring him. He's like, come on. You should have stayed on the going. shore, old man. <laughs> Are you imagine he gets in the water and swims toward the boat and they just start paddling away faster? <laughs> they just push him away with the oar. <laughs> just hold him underwater. <laughs> this is our chance. <laughs> Go, go, go. <laughs> it might not have worked the first time, but I got you the second time, you dumb bastard. <laughs> uh, 
heavy handed talk of inclusion between Tannis and Goldmoon in reference to Riverwind. Um, it doesn't last long enough to really matter, though. And that's something, too. It's it's like in every fantasy world, there are just races that flat out hate each other. Like, it's got to be referenced. Mandatory to be referenced. Yeah, well, I mean, Flint hates gully dwarves because they're not yeah. dwarves. Yeah, that, that dialogue made me wince really, really hard. when I, we're, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, but yeah. It's like, gully dwarves are like... Pfft. You know what? I don't even want to. I don't remember exactly what he said, but I was like, read the room movie. Pretty cringy. But we're talking about the distant past of 2008. (laughs) Tasselhoff returns from scouting, screaming of approaching monks. Nobody seems to find this troublesome and actually try to communicate with them, but they turn out to be horrible CGI dragon warriors. Draconians. So this has trap written all over it from the Mm -hmm. second you see it. And somehow nobody thinks that that is the case. How do these people survive in this world? Sturm doesn't without that staff. (laughs) He gets fucked up. It's awesome. He gets fucked up real bad. First off, like, are, are, are monks like some kind of like force of nature in this setting? Like the, the rogue comes just running back screaming like monks. (laughs) Can you imagine? It would be like if you just had, were vacationing in Italy and somebody came running down the street being like, Franciscans, everybody run for your lives. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I don't recall it super well, but I'm fairly certain in the books, he just comes back and tells them, hey, there's monks coming around the bend. Yeah, that makes more sense. And then the monks, who are clearly evil because they're CGI, they ask about the staff and... D- doesn't the one character just say, like, yeah, I have it? Yeah, well, Strum first says, we can't help you. Keeps it very vague. The one with the actual staff. Goldmoon. Goldmoon. There it is. F- just like, no, no, we can help. Here's the staff. I got you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being subtle. It's like Strum just said, we can't help you. He doesn't want to get stabbed today. I can just imagine, like, some of the dragonborn at the back being like, or the draconians being like, I can't believe that worked. Yeah. This party is full of idiots. I know. <laughs> <laughs> How did they survive this long? This is like uh, this is like Robin Hood Men in Tights level of of heroism. Yeah. No, no, no. That movie was funny. Also, <laughs> is this guy's name Strum or Sturm? I thought it was Sturm. It, it is Sturm. I okay. don't know what I'm talking about, clearly. I liked the um again, this movie can't take credit for it, but it made me nostalgic for <laughs> remembering that yeah draconians are like they're not like they were they're a race of like war creatures uh like a step above automatons basically like they're you know they're living breathing things but they're like they're created right to do the bidding of like their their evil god like they they're they're made to fight and when they die they're ma- like they're created in such a way that when they die, they're meant to fuck fuck over their opponents who are fighting them. So like, I remember there was one book that I read. I can't. I wish I could remember what it was, but like, I think if they die in certain ways, like different things happen. So if they die by fire, then they might explode. Um, if they die by like stabbing or piercing, they'll turn to stone and and like trap the weapons that killed it. Um, and so that that made me happy to remember that um, little bit of lore. Oh, I'm glad somebody got something out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a question for both of you. Mm-hmm. 
does the staff's ability to heal people from mortal wounds make you not care about the seriousness of certain situations? Because once they stop Sturm from dying, I'm like, well, this is fine then. There's no fear of anybody actually dying. No, they pretty much all have to die so that nobody can wield the staff after. Uh-huh. It, it did kind of bum me out because I was like, well, none of the heroes are going to die now. Um, and I was really hoping that all of them would. There's no suspense. And yeah, and you want them all. Like, I, There's probably a goddamn reason why there's only one movie. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I was hoping that they were just going to tie it up at the end and be like, oh, we we... We fucked up and we know it before the production's even done. Let's just wrap this up, guys. But yeah, there's there's no risk whatsoever in the story anymore. And we get one point later on where Goldmoon can't heal everybody that she tries to at once, but she doesn't have the staff at that point. Then you're like, okay, fine. But had you not done what you did and kept that staff, you probably could have killed that dragon, just keep reviving everybody who dies. Anyway, they flee into Darkenwood. And Raceland tells us that there is a strong magic there, but only those with evil intention worry. So that takes even more, like, wind out of my sails, and that there is no suspense in this scene. Like, it's dark, ominous, oh, it's haunted, great. They're like, yeah, but if you're not evil, you're fine. Like, well, then I guess we're fine. (laughs) In the books, I was definitely worried about Raceland making it out of there. They make a big point of saying, yeah, nobody who goes into the darkened wood comes out. I was like, okay, well, that's that's a, you know, a well-worn fantasy trope. And then they're like, oh, yeah, but if you're not evil, then you're okay. So so presumably nobody good has ever gone in there before. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just really bad storytelling. Uh, a ghost army appears. Raceland allows himself to be possessed by a ghost so the parties can talk. He then leads them through a portal into a forest utopia where they meet the forest master, a unicorn covered in vines. It's nice that centaurs bring them food, I guess. (laughs) They learn about the draconians that hunt them. Karamon didn't know, like, which part of the centaurs to ogle. (laughs) He's such a creep. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, uh, the forest master tells them to go to Zaxaroth. Uh, which sounds very Lovecraftian to me. Uh, there they'll meet great evil, but we'll also find the discs of Meshackle, which will reveal the truth about the gods. We see a bit more of Riverwind's jealousy and racism, because that's ever-present. And then Tannis asks Raceland if they were chosen for this quest. That's a good question. Yes, they were. Continue. Well, remember I said Fizban directed them to use the staff, which exposed them, and sent them on their way. So everything else just plays out as fate? Uh, I mean, yeah, you gotta... Because that's all he's done so far. Yeah, you gotta fill in the pieces. Doesn't Raceland say that he had a vision saying that they were chosen? Yeah, that Or did he just say, I believe so? I don't remember. Okay, because there's some oblique references to him having visions, and they never elaborate on it. Like, when did he have these visions? Can we see these visions too, please, as the audience? (sighs) Uh, just it, I think it's safe to say we've already passed the good part of the movie. Um, the heroes are whisked away to the plains of Abyssinia, I think it's pronounced, by a team of Pegasi. Uh, one good element of this movie that recurs is the music. I do enjoy the music. I think I've said that before. But uh, the Pegasi are too afraid to take them directly to Zaxaroth. 
Here we see Goldmoon's hometown in flaming rubble, the townsfolk slaughtered, and a message from Berminard stating he will find the staff. I think it was Alex that pointed it out when we were watching the movie that, like, the stone is on fire. Yeah, yeah. The stone <laughs> town is on fire. Why? Also, that message from Verminard is just written on one tiny shield. I assume he expects that a team of people with the staff will arrive at that one exact point, perfectly able to see that one tiny shield with his message on it. Yeah, I mean, if you're a real evil lord, you got to spell out your messages and corpses, okay? That's the only way to do it. Yeah, view it from the sky. Yeah, see that shit from space. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine one of the gods like, ooh, they're very serious down there right now. <laughs> I'm going um, They continue, <laughs> yeah, let's not make ourselves known just yet. Uh, they continue to Zaxaroth. And uh, Tim, this is where they meet the Gully Dwarves, uh, a race with lower intelligence. Um, we meet Bapu. Who I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to spoil it. I think Bapu is my favorite character. She's like <laughs> just genuinely helpful and likable and, and happy and useful. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with you, man. <laughs> And that, it, that's, that's, it's fucking sad, guys. <laughs> it's sad that Bapu is a likely contender for favorite character in this. <laughs> Bapu is as good as it gets. Uh, Raceland makes Bapu show them the way along a secret path. Uh, Tasselhoff picks a, a lock on a door, revealing a massive chamber with a dragon sleeping upon a mountain of gold. And cutting back to Raceland and Bapu, um, Raceland makes her search for a specific book. Sends her on a mini quest, if you will. Sturm finds the discs of Meshackle, and the dragon awakens, only to be revealed as Onyx. But that's okay, because she's immediately murdered by Goldmoon. Goldmoon and the staff, that's all it takes. Yeah. But Goldmoon disappears. Dragons aren't supposed to be imposing forces, right? No, God no. I'm confused about something. <laughs> <laughs> Just now, huh? All right. Yeah, so Onyx, we saw at the beginning of the movie, who's hanging out with Verminard, and was dispatched from, I don't know, wherever Verminard's hideout is. So is this Onyx's lair, or or did she just happen upon a, a horde and decided to just take a power nap? I, I fully believe now that if I'm reading the books, every few pages I'm just going to have to be like, all right. I believe she set up shop there when she destroyed his town, which they allude to having happened prior to them being in Solace. Um, so maybe she set up shop there, but I don't recall. Hmm. Yeah, no idea. Like, shouldn't she be out, like, scouring, looking for the staff? But she's just like, yeah, I'll just keep all these riches. And, and like, amazing, amazing coincidence that the thing that you should be out there looking for has just come right to you. Mm -hmm. And destroyed you. And just yeah. immediately. <laughs> Do you imagine she actually got it and like grips a hold of it and just dies? <laughs> yeah. It'd be like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones didn't have to do anything and the same result would have happened. Yep. Uh, at least, uh, you know, Tannis is knocked out, but Riverwind saves him and you know, they save the disc. So no harm on anyone there. Hooray! But I love how they just kill the fuck out of a draconian. <laughs> After that, just pump it full of arrows and then just run up to it while it's on the ground and just slashing at it. I also find it hilarious that earlier when uh, 
um, Sturm didn't fare so well against the Draconians. It's because a weapon got lodged in the Draconian being defeated and they couldn't get it out of the stone. In this mm-hmm. scene, they kill the Draconian, it turns to stone, and they just pull it out immediately like a hot knife through butter. Well, they're angry now, Sandra. Oh, I forgot that element. Yeah. Anger beats magic. Uh, we sadly leave Tim's favorite character of Bapu. But she gives him the spell book they were looking for. And for some reason, in this one quick shot, Raceland seems the most human ever. Like, actual emotion. Honestly, like, I just... It was so... It was so weird. Yeah, it was so weird. Because for the entirety of the movie, before and after, Raceland is just unnecessarily ominous. And now he's nice. And I was like, really just expecting him to just be like, thank you, Bapu. You are a true friend. Power word kill. And then like... (laughs) (laughs) In in the book, Bapu has a much bigger role because they cut out an entire underground sequence that they go through. But it is the only character that Raceland is actually genuinely nice to in the entirety of the trilogy. Okay. So that that holds true. Tannis curses out a statue of uh, Mishakal, but notice that it now holds the blue crystal staff and Goldmoon is laying at its feet. That was pretty convenient. What if they didn't go in that chamber? I also don't understand, like, her faith in Mishakal has turned her into a true cleric of healing without the staff. Well, now it's more important. You gotta keep her alive, because not anybody can heal. Yeah, but she can heal. Yeah, but if she people, dies... just not as well as with the staff. Yeah, see? See? So it's like, thanks for returning the staff. I'm going to make you weaker. Now we're getting to some good writing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this so much. I think more than anything else we have ever covered on this show. <laughs> wow. I thought that I was maybe overreacting with, with my just intense reaction, like negative reaction to... Every minute, I have to say, like, I watched this in like 10 minute increments. Like, I feel like I couldn't expose <laughs> myself to too much of it, like, at, oh same, at, at, at once because it was just so damaging to my soul. I feel so. It's just tiring. It's a real slog to get through. Well, the thing is, I, I felt really bad for not having read the books because I know Sandro loves them. And then he was telling me about the movie. I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I'm, it has his endorsement. It's probably the quickest way I'm going to get some of the story. I feel really bad I put it off for so long. And it's one of the worst things I've ever watched in my life. (laughs) There is very little to appreciate. And I would like to let you know we're only about two-thirds of the way through my notes. Yeah, yeah. Speed it up, man. Nobody wants to talk about this movie anymore. Okay. (sighs) Uh, Goldman learns that there is somebody in Solace who can translate the discs for them. So then we get a montage of the journey back. And again, like I've said twice already, the, the music is quite good. Flint brings up that Tannis should feel different knowing that the gods of light are still present, but Tannis just feels the same. And he uses this as an opportunity to make fun of Flint being old and losing his mind because apparently everybody's an asshole in this. Uh, Flint points out that Tannis's search was really just to find faith in himself. Foreshadowing. That's pretty deep, man. They arrive at Solace to find chaos, war, and death residents being rounded up and jailed and they're cornered by toad yet again uh and thrown into wagons to be put to work as slaves in the mines we meet the also captured elf gilthanis also voiced by phil lamar who's tannis's cousin and he recounts how red dragons attacked solace fizban has also been captured and he starts to tell yet another story this time about dragon lancers um 
Anybody want to give me a quick, like, 30-second summary of what the fuck Dragon Lancers are? Nope. Well, they they would... I think I think in the like my vague recollection is like they they would ride dragons yeah. and they had lances, magical lances. Um, that's as much as I remember from reading Legend of Human Grade Seven. But they would ride like the good dragons. I think I think like metallic dragons being good guys are is is pretty universal across the various D and D settings. Mm-hmm. That that's what you got for us, huh? Yeah, perfect. I know more now than I did before. Um, I, yeah, as I said earlier, um, Gold Moon isn't powerful enough to save everyone, but she's trying to. Elven archers arrive and free our heroes, and they're just trying to cram way too much story into this movie that n- obviously nobody really cared about. Uh, more distrust between elves and humans and their stance with the gods of light. The elves take them to see the Speaker of the Suns, who's also voiced by Phil Lamar. Triple <laughs> <laughs> <And, laughs> And what, like, what is going on with Riverwind's logic right after here? Because he and Tannis talk. Tannis tells him that his mother was raped, and as a result, he was born a half-breed and never accepted by the elves. Riverwind says that he understands being seen as an outsider. The most th- most important thing is to believe in yourself. But he's been ostracizing Tannis this entire time for being different. See? You were asking for character growth. There's no growth. <laughs> there is no growth. He's just contradicting himself. There is no reason to believe that he has grown as a character. Nothing has happened. Next, we get a reunion between Tannis and Lorana. Again, too much story here that I want to know about, and there's no time for it, so they don't cover it. <laughs> uh, do either of you think that more characters maybe should have been cut to make this streamlined and flow a bit better? Because let's not kid ourselves. Most of these characters don't need to be in this movie. I was going to say, I, I think they could have cut out this entire, like, elven, you know, sanctuary thing, and nothing would have changed. Yep. Like, we get a little bit more backstory uh, for Tannis, but, you know, the what we do get is is explored in such a cursory way that it's it's hardly worth it. It's w- hardly worth the effort. And, like, uh, yeah, the little exchange between Riverwind and Tannis is... Uh, you know, really makes you scratch your head because his his backs his specifics of his backstory are, are in no way relevant to what happens in the movie. So, no. why he's getting so specific, uncomfortably specific about it, is is odd. And then they, and then Riverwind yeah. saying like, "Oh yeah, well I was stoned, you know, by uh, back in my village." Like, and and then like and that's where the scene ends. It's just like saying that he got stoned. Um, presumably like in the biblical sense and not in the, you know, uh, mind altering <laughs> sense. Uh, yeah. but there's no, there's no further exploration of it, of any of that. So it's, it's like, it's trying to, it's trying to give these characters room to grow, but it's failing at every chance it gives itself. There's not enough movie left to give your characters a chance to grow. You need to wrap up the story. That's already terrible. Like how many scenes has this has this been? This has been so we've had, like, you know, Verminard. We have uh, the the tavern meeting. We have, you know, the uh, uh, friggin' the the ruins of the village. We have the uh, the place where they found the discs. We have the Pegasus land, the dark wood, um, and now we are back to the village. And now we're at this elven thing. That's like we're almost like ten different. Like nearing ten different locations yeah. in the span of in the span of eighty minutes. 
Yeah, what happened? I lost the staff. I have a power to heal. Here are some discs. <laughs> that's it. That That's all. That's all they have. That's all that's really changed. And they got to meet Papu. This is... Uh, oh, yeah, there was that. Okay, that was important. Um, this is like... In this elven uh, readout here is where they, somebody comes up with the most ingenious plan to save the day. Oh my God. The slave revolt. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way that this could end uh, like other than mass slaughter, right? The new plan, our heroes start a slave revolt in the minds of Pax Tharkas to distract Verminard so the elves can rescue women and children. Yeah, can I can I immediately interject again? Please do. <laughs> because I was, so so Verminard finds out, I guess he finds out somehow that um that the that the, the the heroes have been to the elven place, the name I didn't bother to remember or learn. Um and he sends out dragons to destroy it. Right? And you like it is like a swarm. It is dozens and dozens of dragons like to to mm -hmm. attack this one one place and it's like what what we never see what happens with that though no no they'll go back to it and it's like you're talking about like unleashing prisoners who have been captured like villagers who have been you know taken to a labor camp to do i guess i don't know breaking rocks or something labor uh and and, and it's like what are they gonna do against that kind of power like they don't have weapons they don't have talent <laughs> there's there's nothing that can happen except that that, that they are cannon fodder um it, it's it's truly mind-boggling that anybody could think that this would be like i mean just okay so let's break it down into like actual D, &D terms here okay so like a commoner hang on i'm gonna open my bestiary app on my phone here a commoner i'm gonna say maybe has five hit hit points no way it has that many I think commoner. it's like 1d3. Commoner, hit points 4. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you just second-guessing the Dungeon Master here, dude? Okay. I was just as close as you were. <laughs> just in the other direction. You said 5, I said 3. It ended up being 4. Come on. Okay, fair enough. All right, so... No comment. I'm going to go with a, you know what? A young red dragon. Not an adult, not an ancient, but a young. A step up from Wormling, okay? The breath attack... <laughs> The fire breath on a young red dragon, okay, is 56 points of fire damage, okay? <laughs> and that's like, that's to a, a cone, like a massive cone-shaped area. So if you had, if you had 100 commoners all armed with spears, not one of them is getting through, okay? Tim, Tim. I'm sorry, that, that I've, I've gone off on a tangent. I, a regular cat can do 1d3 hit points of damage. It can crit a commoner in one hit. Oh my what gosh. are they going to do against a dragon? Yeah, so this 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 plan this plan is flawed, I think. But at least there's a plan. <laughs> <laughs> and now that we've got this plan, we're ready to put it into action. But first, we have Tannis and Lorana lament about their past future because we have to talk about this love triangle again. Yeah, whatever. Tannis openly states he's fallen in love with human Katiana and storms off. Another pointless scene. Cut to Pax Tharkas. Verminard is told that Onyx has been killed and he demands the elf stronghold to be destroyed. There you go. The heroes decide to split up because that's a fucking fantastic idea. 
Fizban demands to follow Tannis. I enjoyed Tasselhoff's excitement to fight an entire army. Um, I know, Sandra, you, you said that he's just an annoying fucking character throughout the he's book. He's annoying, but, but like he definitely has his benefits. Like, everything is an adventure for him. He's yeah. endlessly optimistic, like me. <sighs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I feel like we've lost so much time to grow with these characters just because of the shortened runtime of the film. So I am I am going to read the books because I'm I'm actually curious to see what was omitted. Um, they reach the secret passage and review the plan: rescue the women and children, bring them back through the passage, while our heroes and the men fight the armies. Lorana shows up to fight alongside them. Fizban seems a lot more present now, a jarring change in character. I wonder what's going to happen here. Uh, was this as evident in the book, Sandra? Do you remember? Because it is a drastic character change. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, very good. I find it ridiculous, though, that these heroes show up to rescue the enslaved and the slaves simply blame Goldman for everything. At that point, just be like, well, fuck you guys then. <laughs> and leave. Save yeah, at yourself. this point, she's had to do this healing trick, like, what, 20 times to, to prove to people that she's not a fraud? Yeah. It, like, at this point, it's just like, all right, yeah, just, you know, get on with it. Yeah, like all it takes to change their minds is for her to heal the dying leader of the slaves. Great. One thing I did enjoy, though, is uh, uh, Verminard placing the children under the watch of a dragon. Like, that's pretty smart. Mm -hmm. One of Uh, the first smart moves in the movie. Yeah, but it's this dragon. Yeah, the dragon is problematic. Yeah, how do you trust this dragon? The uh, half-blind, insane dragon. Uh, So there's a new plan. Everyone dress as women to sneak into the hold where the children are. And I don't know about you guys, but I really didn't need a pervy draconian in this movie. Do either of you remember the scene I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Y- yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just not going to get into it. Sounds good. Perfect. The facade works, and it turns out the dragon overlooking the children is old, as I said, half blind, and seems to be slightly insane. Uh, but... Probably a wicked caretaker for the children. She sees them as her own offspring and loves them all and just cares for them. Very caring, yeah. Yeah. I actually th- kind of thought, like, to be honest, I kind of thought that this was funny. Like, I got a laugh out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. You're like, allowed it, to it, enjoy it, something in the movie. It, you're allowed to. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah, they just don't present you with much. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to find it yourself or dig deep, but you're allowed to. Like, it makes sense that, like, this is the one dragon that Verminard doesn't send out to do battle because it's, um, you know, not not in fighting capacity. Uh, but I, I thought that it was really funny. Like, it actually gives, like, this m- m- might be the most fleshed out character in the entire movie here is this, this dragon. <laughs> I think you're right. This yeah. dragon and Bapu, like, that's the buddy movie that I need to see. <laughs> oh, what we need is Bapu to become a dragon rider and ride this dragon. Yeah, Bapu becomes like the newest Dragon Lancer. That'd be the best dialogue ever. Uh, Draconians have discovered the escape tunnel. Tasselhoff thinks that they can escape through the front gates. And Fizban gives Tannis a pep talk about faith and how his self-doubt is the only reason he will fall. It's a real Yoda moment. It is. But, like, it's also Fizban. And I guess they kind of play it up the same way. Because remember when... In uh, Empire, everyone just kind of thought that Yoda was this crazy old dude living in a swamp. And then you realize how wise he actually is. Mm-hmm. 
Same thing here. Mm-hmm. And he's basically giving giving him like the that is why you fail speech. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. They make a break for the front gates while the draconians are having a war rally, but are seen immediately. Well, yeah. Their plan is to literally just walk out the front gate. Yep. While everyone is there. Yeah. Assuming that none of them will turn around. <laughs> they're too busy chanting Verminard. Like, that's all that they're doing. <laughs> it's like, what are they getting hyped up for? Like, you don't have to hype these guys up. Like, they are they are made for combat. Draconians don't need to be hyped. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I would have really loved it if they had, like, a DJ up, like, up top. It was just like, y'all ready for Verminard? <laughs> He's got his own hype, man. Yeah. <laughs> Airhorn. Uh, Verminite arrives atop a dragon. Engulfed in a rage, he threatens to kill all of the slaves, men, women, and children, and then incinerates almost everybody in the courtyard, including draconian warriors. (laughs) I'm fully on board with Verminite as an evil monster at this point, and it should not have taken this long. Now it almost feels like it's out of character for him to be this badass. Can I... There's there's a moment in this this, uh, battle... Where I think it's Caramon says, uh, how are we supposed to fight a dragon? And like five minutes prior, when they're discussing the plan to free the children, somebody tells him like, but there's a dragon guard in them. And he's like, we've fought dragons before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we don't have the staff anymore. But they didn't at that time either. Like when they were going to go in and free the children, they didn't have the staff. Oh, right, right. Sorry. I thought you were, they were referring to when they fought Onyx. And, well, fight is a generous term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poker in the chest. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure how to feel about this next part. Um, Tannis yells to the insane dragon that Verminard is killing her children, and the dragon immediately goes on the attack. Like, I I like it, but I don't know if it's Here's good. this crazy old dragon who cares about her children is fighting for them. That's a stand-up character right there. But is it good? Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah. I mean, it's the smartest play that any of these bozos have done, like, the entire movie. I was like, I actually actually kind of shrugged. I was like, all right. You know, like, at this point, my my expectations are, like, I just want the movie to end. Um, And I'm like, you know what? All right, fine. Yeah, I'll go with it. I'm on board. I'm on board with a bad CGI dragon fight. Honestly, at this point, like, I've been typing notes Notes, notes, notes. Like right now, I'm on page 15 of 17. We're almost done. <laughs> and we get to this point in the movie, and I'm not even really typing comments anymore. I'm just like, this happens, this happens, and I'm just going with it because I just want it to be done. So, like, if I stop thinking critically, I can go to sleep. <laughs> and I'm just typing out the events of the movie. <laughs> uh, Verminard is knocked off his dragon and plummets to the ground, survives. Fizban blows open the gates with a fireball, uh, originally unable to remember the spell because now he's old, goofy, I can't remember a fucking thing Fizban anymore, <laughs> but falls into a pit and, of course, you know, it turns into feathers or something and he survives because, <laughs> sure, uh, Tannis, Raceland, and Caramon and Stern charge the remaining army while the others guide the rest of the slaves to freedom. It's revealed that Verminard can call upon Tachesis, who really isn't that present in this movie, and use her powers of death. She looks through some weird magical yellow pool to view the battle, 
And Sandra, I think you might agree with me on this one, Tim, maybe not. I'm not sure about your viewing history of film, but the four battling Verminard reminds me of the final battle at the end of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Just stop attacking one at a time. Yeah, I actually didn't think about it like that, but yeah. 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 Because you know what happens when you attack even two at a time? You fucking kill him. <laughs> Imagine if the four of them rushed him at the same time. Movie's over. Ben gets to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of the blue snake nonsense? It looked awful. I mean, it, I, I, I guess I kind of understood what they were going for with the visual. And uh, it, it just looked real bad. Um, I do like how Verminard fought. He was just like... He's basically just bullying these four. Like, really, mm-hmm. like, I think Raceland at one point, like, Vermar is carrying this big, like, fuck-off mace, but he just, like, punches him instead. He's like, I'm not going to hit you with my weapon. I'm just going <laughs> to fucking punch you in the in the back of the head. <laughs> it's like, this, is, this dude is awesome. <laughs> like, he, he, he's, just, he's just rolling over these, these bozos. Yeah, I, I have it written here. Final showdown between um, Talos and Verminard. And Verminar just keeps cracking people in the head with his mace, and it doesn't seem to do any serious damage to anybody. It's a spiked mace, and he's going around just fucking bopping people. Doesn't do anything. Tannis finally regains faith in the gods and himself and taunts Verminard. A light emits from his chest, and Fizban emerges from Takesis' viewing pool. Fizban reveals himself to be Paladine, a god of light. He and Takesis battle, and he wins the fight with minimal effort. Tannis and Sturm run Verminard through with their swords in what is a pretty visually brutal death. Elistan, the leader of the... Oh, I'm just wrapping this up, guys. Elistan, the leader <laughs> of the slaves, reveals he is able to read the discs. Gold Moon marries Riverwind. Everyone's happy. Healer marries Racist. Raceland warns they have only won a battle, and they must find the Dragon Lancers if they want to survive. Lorana hooks up with the old man Elistan. Well done, sir. The final shot reveals that Tanis Love, Kitiana, is actually a dragon high lord, seemingly preparing for battle. Roll credits, end movie. Don't make a sequel. I hated it. <laughs> yeah, we never do see the results of Verminard sending out his massive air force of dragons to <laughs> crush the elves. Like, we don't see what happens to that. There's no. Um, I guess we see some dragons like flying at the end, but like there's no like did the elves make it out? I guess we're kind of left to assume that some of them probably did, although how? Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. And like, can we can we just go back for a second? Like, why was Tika like accompanying the heroes on this dangerous mission in the final battle? Like, what was she doing there? What she is her purpose? I I don't know. I have no idea. All right. Sandra, nothing. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I i don't know i don't know guys i mean there's just this so a, like it's it's so this is a tough one it's fundamentally wrong as a movie like in the scene where they get captured back at solace they're they're made to surrender their weapons before they get locked into this wagon uh but in one of the subsequent shots um tannis still has a sword on him mm-hmm so there's a lot. There's a, it's very rough around the edges. I, the, the... all right, Ben. What do you got for numbers? <laughs> very few. All right. What are those very few numbers? 
Uh, well, I don't have a budget or a gross because I can't find the information anywhere. Yeah, they made about thirty bucks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, at one sale. I'm pretty sure this was pushed out for tax reasons. Otherwise, it just would have sat shelved. Um, anyone care to guess IMDb ratings? Oh, four. Uh, more than four. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm gonna say. You know what? Like me personally, I would. I, I would be tempted to sign on to Metacritic to give it a zero. Into like, I actually had to make a Metacritic um, account just to give one movie a zero because it had like a nine point something, and I was like, "This is wrong." Um, but what was that movie? It's called Ida. I think it was no a, idea. Yeah, it was a. It was a. I think it was a Polish film about a nun. Uh, anyways, I I did not like it. But um, yeah, so this Apparently. this I would give it as I would give it a, a one for the potential of Babu and Dragon like buddies through time. Um, but, <laughs> Babu and Insane Dragon buddy cops. <laughs> yes, uh, is it a four point nine? It's a four point eight. Ooh, very close. Sandro, what uh, what did the critics give this on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> Ten. Uh, there's no there's no percentage rating on Rotten Tomatoes for the critics. <laughs> uh guys you want to take a guess at uh the audience score though for rotten tomatoes 20 tim um i i'm gonna say that uh nostalgia probably plays a pretty big factor so i'm gonna say no it doesn't it's like a 40 40 percent 20 oh sandro got it yeah good guess i doubled up what i thought the critics would have given it (laughs) (laughs) all right guys i i need i need to take one step back here we normally will mention the director and the writers uh, i do want to say the director will uh munio um swing and a miss sir sorry but going through a partial list of works on wikipedia it does a lot of storyboard work for like batman the animated series biker mice from mars bionic six one of my favorite cartoons as a kid bob the builder bucky o'hare captain planet Captain Power, Conan the Adventurer, Cops, yeah, Earthworm Jim, G.I. Joe, Gem, Johnny's Golden Quest, Johnny Quest. You're just in the J's, wow. I know, did a bunch of Street Fighter stuff, Spider-Man. Okay, so this guy knows how to package, like, an animation then. like Exactly. He's a pro. I, I cannot fault him for this. He knows what he's doing. A storyboard artist going to a director of animation knows exactly what they're doing. This has to be somebody else's fault. I, I have this weird suspicion that it's that somebody, like somebody, like higher up, was like, "We want to put in CGI in this. Like all the bad guys should be CGI." And it, yeah. it like chewed up a bunch of the budget, and they had to, you know, and it like really turned it sideways. I, I don't know why I think that, but just just the way, just how incongruous it is for the animation to be like to be on the same screen with these cgi monstrosities well one one more credit to this uh director supervising producer and storyboard artist for the 92 x-men series oh oh my heart is broken some real bangers yeah uh also uh the early 2000s tmnt series oh yeah, yeah. That show was so good. This was yeah. not. The real Ghostbusters as well. 
Ben, I can't take it anymore, man. Just stop. I'm going to. That's a shame. That is a true shame. Let's hop into awards. All right. Our guest always goes first. And this is quite the uh, heavy nominated award. What was your least favorite character? Oh, Tim. boy. Um, least favorite character. I mean, I I felt like Tannis was maybe just very, like, he, as far as a character went, he was kind of like Tofu, you know? He's very neutral. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. not, not, nothing there to grab onto, nothing there to, Mr. like, really d- dislike. Yeah, exactly. Um, least favorite character. I'm going to have to probably say, um, I guess all the racist ones I, I really <laughs> intensely disliked. So nice. that's, like, half. Um, and then, like, Karaman, uh for being a creep. Okay. I mean, I can't fault you for that. Uh, ben, you start between you and I. Few Master Toad. Oh, okay. That was pretty quick. I hated that character. It didn't need to be in the movie at all. It wasn't even easy to make fun of. You couldn't play with the character at all. At least with, like, the racist characters. You acknowledge, like, oh, my God, these people suck. Uh, and you you analyze the interactions with the other characters with Viewmaster Toad. You're like you just don't need to be in this story at all, and you show up three fucking times. Hate him. You? Uh, I went with Flint because all he does is bitch the whole time. I thought that'd be your favorite character. I don't uh, see why that's kind of mean. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Tim. Yep. Who is your favorite character? Um, gotta go with the Bapu. Yep, and, and the Bapu and the crazy dragon. It's a tie. I didn't expect that. Um, I, uh, he referenced it earlier. Yeah, I know. Uh, I just like I had awards set up beforehand, and like he convinced me to change it. But <laughs> I, I will agree with Tim on this one. But my original choice, I will say, was Tannis because he seemed to be the least offensive character yeah in the entire film i don't even like michael rosenbaum at all but i did want to know more about tannis's character more like backstory his history and i was hoping i'd get that in the books so bapu and insane dragon it is (laughs) (laughs) sandro i didn't have anything written down (laughs) you fucking made us watch this and you couldn't even pick a favorite character. Uh, Tasselhoff. He managed to stay optimistic in the steaming pile for the entire duration. He did stay optimistic, that is true. So, good for him, you know? He brought some yep. gusto to uh, otherwise effortless. Memorable line, Tim? Um, yeah, you know what? There was one memorable line that, that I um, was able to like commit to memory without actually having to write it down. And it was Tannis talking about basically how he was treated by his like elf, the elf side of his, his background. And uh, it was his, the, the elven love interests father. I can't remember her name or the father's name, but he was like, your father called me half of one thing and all of nothing. I was like, Oh, boom. Roasted. Yeah, that's a good line. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's like, that's a good insult from like an off-screen character. What about you, Ben? I have the same thing. Tannis to uh, Lorana. Your father once told me I was half of one thing and all of nothing. And I have fucking brutal, great line. But I uh, I also had a runner-up. Oh, okay. And I think it might actually overtake this. And it was uh, as soon as the credits were just about to roll. 
Uh, it was me saying, thank fuck, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? So near the very beginning in the end of the last home, the two little kids are running around and they come talk to Tasselhoff. And Tasselhoff, answering why he's so short, says it's to get away from goblins and evil wizards. And the little girl says, evil wizard? I've never met an evil wizard before. And Sturm says, uh, I guess it's their lucky day. We got one right here. And he looks at Raceland. Yeah, it's pretty good. And that's really, that's based more on my history with Raceland from the books, not this movie. All right. On to memorable scene. Or moment. Or moment. Tim? You can't say when the credits rolled. I mean, (laughs) memorable scene. Uh, I think I, I think I like the the scene in the boat because there's just so much weirdness with it with uh, with race of like bragging like he's like fucking king shit and then and then be like oh, I'm too tired to do anything else. <laughs> I cast a sleep spell. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine he just cast the spell on himself and passes out? <laughs> I'm out of here. You guys figure this out. <laughs> Raceland, is there nothing you can do? Watch me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben, you're watching. You're like, oh, I wish I could do that to myself right now. Yeah, teach me that spell, <laughs> <laughs> Sandra. Um, so I had Caramon ogling Tika. Yeah, it was very jarring. Yeah, it's not memorable for good reasons, but I will never forget it. Yeah, legit. You? Uh, the first CGI battle. I was just watching it like, what the fuck are we doing here, guys? <laughs> you what were is so this? quiet when we were watching this movie. I've I never was, heard it before. I was so angry. <laughs> I was so fucking angry. And I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to give away my my feelings for this movie before we recorded tonight. This is, this is the fucking worst. It, it I... I, I I don't I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, what are your closing thoughts on this uh, movie? Uh, avoid it. Avoid it like the plague. <laughs> That's it. Short and sweet. <laughs> ben, I, I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> um, nobody ever, ever even think about watching it. And if anybody watched it for the show, blame Sandro. I am so sorry. Um, I feel like anything I really wanted to get from this story might be in the books, except for the parts that Sandra told me weren't. Uh, So I'm still going to give them a chance because there is some hope there. I want to know more about the characters. I know like, well, there really isn't much of a build to the film's events whatsoever. I mentioned it before. It feels like a Cliff's Notes of a story that's too good to be abridged. But they did it anyway. Like aside from the movie, a movie. Sorry, aside from the music, the, the, this movie's garbage. <laughs> it's it is the worst movie I have ever seen. I think we've hit that point. Wow. <laughs> there is nothing good other than music for this movie, and I feel like the music was ripped from another film. Sandro, I think you have shown me the worst movie in my life. You're welcome. You will pay for this. Oh, I'm already paying for it. You have no idea. What do you think about this movie? Would you recommend it? Smiles? Not a snowball's chance in hell. I, at one point, loved this movie. And I have to theorize that it was because 
I had just read the books again fresh when I watched it. And I think my memory of the books and my complete and absolute adoration of them. I mean, Dragons of Autumn's Twilight uh, as the first book in a trilogy might be my favorite trilogy of books ever. So I had that memory fresh in my mind to fill in all the gaps of what was missing from this movie. And I feel like having now watched it again, this far removed from reading the book, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> it feels like they abridged the story and cut out all the like, wrong parts that should have stayed in it and kept all the parts that didn't matter. This has completely yeah. ruined my love of this tale. I am so sorry that I went back and watched this again and that I actually submitted people that I give a shit about. No, I wouldn't even give my worst enemies this movie as a recommendation. And I used to love it. I don't know what was wrong with me or what sort of psychedelic somebody had slipped into my drink before I watched it. But this movie is complete and utter trash. You picked a good one, sir. Michael, I ruined my childhood. By picking this movie, I thought it was, I thought it was my memory doing me a disservice when I picked Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and this is a million times worse. I should never be allowed to pick another movie again, ever. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't give yourself such a hard time on uh, that. You, I mean, you no, totally deserve it, but you have no <laughs> idea how much watching this meant to somebody who actually like knew and loved the property beforehand. You can brush it off as a shit movie. I have to carry my fandom of the books now with this asterisk of just freaking disappointment and resentment with me from here on out. I have been quoted a million times as saying that Raceland is my favorite literary character of all time. I've read multiple trilogies and tons of books about him and in the books he's phenomenal. This movie just ruined it all. All he can say, man, is pretend this film doesn't exist. I can't. And I have it on my shelf. When my entire collection of DVDs was stolen out of storage, I'm now wishing that this movie was in that box. You kept that piece of shit? Yes. I didn't watch it. And I only took a couple movies out of that box of DVDs that I put in storage that I just wanted to keep on the shelf as like collectible items. I didn't bother to rewatch it before that. If I had, it would have been in that box and I might have been encouraging people to take it by not putting the lock back on the storage. It kind of seems like this is one of those DVD releases where like the special features are animated menu. <laughs> yeah, Sandra, you gotta you gotta throw that DVD in there and let us know what the special features are. I don't want to. It's an extended. It's an extended cut of Kiefer Sutherland coughing. My lord, I'm yeah. Tim. I am so sorry that I put you through this. Do you remember when Kiefer Sutherland was wasted and ran into that Christmas tree at the party? No. No. Yeah, there's a video of it on YouTube. Check it out. I'm pretty sure that was him just after watching this. <laughs> he just he's wasted and just jumps into a Christmas tree, hugging it, and then crashing into the floor. I don't nobody watch this movie. Ever. He was he was doing he was doing his background research on Raceland at that point. I'm so disappointed. Alright, Tim, why don't you <laughs> let everybody know where they can find you and your silky smooth tones? 
Right. Okay. Well, yeah. So Knights and Nerds podcast is uh, is available on most podcast services. We're also, our website is knightsandnerds.com. If you stream or download podcasts uh, in a browser like a weirdo. We have a Facebook page, Knights and Nerds podcast. Instagram is uh, at Knights and Nerds. Yeah. And we post, you know, some funny posts and updates about the podcast and stuff. Um, we are around episode 35 of our second campaign and things are going to be getting very crazy by oh geez we just recorded episode 40 and oh boy there was a botched heist that took place so yeah if anybody's <laughs> uh looking for an actual D uh D actual play podcast um i also do like these other episodes where it's just me recording and i'm talking about what's happening what i thought was going to happen you know what the players decisions were and how that has changed what my plans were and how I'm kind of adapting to it. Um, so I record those episodes and the players don't listen to them. Um, but it's a good, you know, peek behind the screen into how I am continually not able to anticipate the actions of my, uh, my players. So, um, yeah. So interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, that's, that's where you can find Knights and nerds. All right. I can't even imagine what, uh, what I have, I, I know what I deserve, but uh, what movie you have in store for us next next week? Yeah, so I have been sending Sandro gifts from the movie Cats uh, ever since I finished watching Dragons of Autumn Twilight uh, because I wanted to really impart this, you know, existential dread that he might have to watch Cats. But you know what? I'm not going to do that to to you. I'm not going to do that to Ben. So, <laughs> I can, my recommendation. I can, you, I can tell you one movie that cats would be better than. <laughs> my my pick is not perhaps not a great movie, but I think of an enjoyable movie, and it does dragons a lot better than this. Uh, so my pick is 2002's Reign of Fire. Oh fuck yeah! One to a million in less than a year. Highly evolved. They have great vision in the day. They have even better vision at night. Extremely intelligent. He's playing hide and seek. More like cat and mouse. Unbelievably powerful. Two glands in the mouth secrete separate chemicals. Combine an exhalation, natural napalm. One will protect them. We have to hang on. Work together. And one will lead them. There's nothing magical about it. They're made of flesh and blood. You take out their heart, you bring down the beast. We found out where they started. 
We're going to London. This summer, vertical one up. The plan is set. 1,600 yards, closing fast. The arsenal has been assembled. Get ready to rock and roll. Three jumpers! And they've got one chance to take back their world. Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale. Rain of Fire. I mean, very good. Until next week, have a good one. All the best.